Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh, as many times as you ask, the answer is still no, you cannot have my baby. <laughs> All right. I guess I guess Awesome Movie Year Junior will just have to not exist. <laughs> Nobody is more excited about babies than Josh. Yeah, so true. Babies and children, my favorite things. And that's what we've got here in this episode. We are talking about the films of 1975 in this season. And we are here at uh, an episode that often changes from season to season. It is uh, sometimes our Sundance Film Festival episode. But when we are looking back further than Sundance existed, we've talked about other festivals, other major festivals. And here we're looking at the Berlin International Film Festival, the winner of the Golden Bear at that festival in 1975. It's a Hungarian film called Adoption from director Marta Maceros. And Jason has predicted that this will be our shortest episode ever because I'm already done with my analysis of it. <laughs> yeah. Josh, how did you, um, uh, cause you, you know, when we go over, uh, the lineup for each season, we all have suggestions, but this was, this was all you baby. How did you choose this as opposed to some other film festival? Well, winners? I think I, I don't recall. I know in the past a few times, I think we've done the Venice film festival for this episode. And I don't remember what it was that won Venice that I decided would not work, or it's possible Venice was not competitive this year. There's years I know where they don't actually give out a top prize, that that's, that happened various times during the history of that festival. So I think I was just looking at other major festivals, and you go back that far and certain festivals either don't exist, like Sundance, or aren't at the level that they had become, or they don't offer winners or top prizes or whatever. So I think this seemed like the the film where we could pick something that did win a major film festival that existed at the time and seemed interesting to me. Obviously, it turned out, at least on Jason's part, that this was not a particularly interesting film, but it seemed like something for us to explore beyond so many of the big name, major canonical classics that we've been talking about in this season. Mm. So uh, the key there was pick something from a film festival that exists. That exists. That is a notable major film. I mean, Berlin is one of the big three festivals in Europe, along with Venice and Cannes. And this was, for example, actually, which I'll probably mention a little later, this was the first ever year of the Toronto Film Festival, for example. But it was kind of a failure in that first year. And that festival never gives out. It doesn't have a jury. It doesn't give out awards. So, I mean, that that winner is never really an option for us. And, you know, most other film festivals are kind of lower tier or didn't didn't exist. So uh, I'm just like Googling it. And it seems that Venice didn't happen in 1975. There you go. Yeah, reason. that's that's it. It has kind of a bumpy history, Venice, even though that is the first, I believe, the first ever film festival to exist. So it's been mm. around. This sounds like a spinoff longer podcast, Venice. Why we can talk about it for our earlier seasons. Real. uh Real glimpse into the inner workings of Awesome Movie Year we're giving you here. Yeah, mm -hmm. wait until we get to uh, Dave's pick and we go through his mind on how he picked Dave's pick. I don't know if we want to really get too deep into <laughs> Dave's mind on this podcast. I agree with that. Um, and this is a notable film, 
I mean, I think Marta Maceros as a filmmaker is not particularly well known here in the US, not someone that I had heard of before or, or you, Jason, I imagine had heard of her before. Josh, how dare you, sir? <laughs> I, of course, had watched all three of the uh, diary trilogy that she had made in the 80s. So I don't know what you're talking about. So Jason hadn't heard of her before either. <laughs> But speaking of which, when I went to Letterboxd to look this movie up, you know who's watched this movie? The three of us. That's oh, all right. Okay. We're, we're, we're trailblazers. There are plenty of reviews yeah. of this. I mean, especially because it was given a big restoration a few years ago. It was released on Blu-ray, 4K, whatever, by the Criterion Collection. It's streaming on the Criterion channel as we all watched it there. If you are interested in watching it after our ringing endorsement and of it josh was so into it he learned hungarian to give you actual reviews from the i time did not but Ooh. uh the marta maceros was the first ever hungarian female director to make a feature film and this movie and was cool. the first movie yeah we like that, that. yeah yeah and th this film was the first movie directed by a woman to ever win the golden bear at the berlin international film festival so it is a landmark film and she is a major world filmmaker, even if we are not familiar with her and a lot of American filmgoers are not familiar with her. It's, uh, you know, where we've got uh, her and Chantel Ackerman breaking new ground in this year. So it's interesting to go back and look at that. Right. And, and it is interesting to see women breaking through in this era like that, given that it's still, you know, a struggle that that representation is still not at the level that you know, it should be for balance now. And it was difficult. I, I watched an interview with Marta Maceros that's part of like the supplemental features on Criterion that she gave at the Berlin Festival in 2019 when they premiered the restoration of this. And she was married to another Hungarian film director. And she said early on when she was making movies, the only way that she kind of was able to do it was that people thought her husband would show up and be the real director. And kind of uh we're like oh we'll let her do her thing until he shows up and of course that was not what happened but certainly uh you know facing some obstacles there uh she was married to two different directors in her life and uh her sons uh ha have been directors of photography on her films oh that's a nice little family affair so this film did premiere at uh, at Berlin in 1975 it also played at the 1975 Chicago International Film Festival the Toronto International Film Festival, as I said, in 1976, which was the first ever edition of that, and the New Directors New Films Festival in New York City in 1976. It was the Hungarian submission to the Oscars for Best Foreign Language Film, but it did not receive a nomination. And again, according to Marta Maceros in that interview, this was the first year that uh, socialist countries in the, in the sort of Soviet bloc had participated and sent films to the Berlin Festival. Dave, you're the expert on uh, geopolitics and mm -hmm. uh, economics. Uh, anything to add there? I think that's cool. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> expert. I told you, Josh. <laughs> you know, some interesting stuff here, I guess. So, I mean, as Jason kind of alluded to with my non-speaking of Hungarian, this was not a film that was really reviewed at the time that it was released in English. It was not released in the U.S. Other than playing a couple, those couple film festivals here, there was not a commercial release of this in the U.S. until much, much later on home video and really not much attention 
given to this film until it had that restoration in like 2019. So a movie that was not heavily covered or barely even covered at all. So I only have one review here, <laughs> like uh, in comparison to my usual. And I did not go on that deep dive, unlike in our Chantal Ackerman episode on John Dealman, where I did find some reviews in French that were translated. I could not. Uh, my research skills did not lead me to any Hungarian reviews. Mm. Although, again, in that interview, Marta Maceros claimed that the Hungarian critics were very uh, critical uh, uh, and very negative about the main star of this film, Katalin Berek, but that critics in the West were more receptive to her kind of subdued acting style in this film. Well, Josh, while you were saying that, I was looking up reviews and uh, I found our letterbox uh, reviews, me, you, and Dave, that we could go over yeah. since you're lacking. There's other, other there's other reviews on Letterboxd and and some reviews of the of the Criterion DVD when it was released. But the one review I did find from the time is from Vincent Canby in the New York Times, who did review it when it played at New Directors New Films in 1976. So he said. Adoption is very much a woman's movie, though its title has specific reference to Kata's actions after her lover refuses to give her a baby. The film has even more to do with surrogate relationships, particularly with the friendship that develops between Kata and a teenage girl who has been put into a state home by her family. It is also about women without men, or with men who don't quite measure up, in a world still dominated by men. The style is introspective or at least as introspective as it is possible to be in a movie that does not attempt to crash through to the subconscious. In the center of the screen most of the time, in the close-ups favored by the director, is the fine, angular, expressive face of Miss Barrett. Adoption, which is Miss Maceros's fifth feature, never explodes with the unexpected insights that separate great films from good ones. It takes no exciting chances. Rather, it records the details of one woman's life with the kind of deliberate care and intelligence that one can recognize without being especially moved. Hmm. That's a, you know, makes me think back of like Tokyo Story or something, right. and uh, which is obviously considered like an all-time great and everything like that. So, um, and that doesn't really take chances from a storytelling standpoint, I would say, right? Would you agree with that? Josh? I don't, yeah, I mean, I suppose it doesn't take chances, but I mean, it's a unique style of storytelling, I think, that that Ozu perfected. And maybe it seems less radical to us watching it now than it would have at the time. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I don't agree with the... Um, the 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 answer here but i'm not sure i agree with how he worked out the equation because there are plenty of small lovely movies that just kind of meander through and this one i just don't think adds up all the way um to get you to that next level but i don't think that's because of the filmmaking style per se right i mean i i agree that this is a it, i mean it's certainly a small film and i think that's deliberate but it does feel a bit meandering and there are a lot of moments in this film to me where I was like, I'm not really sure what the purpose of this is or how this feeds into the themes or the central narrative of the film. And it's kind of intriguing at the time, but I, I, I agree with him that it kind of, especially at the end, it adds up to like, huh. And it doesn't necessarily, to me, it didn't feel uh, emotionally affecting, even though I could kind of admire what she's attempting. 
Do do you uh, one note I sometimes get on uh, screenplays, which I think is uh, I don't always agree with, but do you feel like it's episodic, Josh? Um, a little. I mean, I that that is a, I feel like that's a common criticism of of films where they're a series of little events. Um, I don't know. I felt like this had a, a pretty clear through line with the two main characters and their desires. Kata, her, who has this desire to have a child, and Anna, the, the teenager from the nearby the group home who wants to marry her boyfriend. And both of those are resolved by the end. So, I mean, in that sense, they're introduced at the beginning and resolved at the end of the film. So, I mean, that's, that's a, a full-on arc within the film as a whole. I guess to go a little further with that, right? So um, the younger girl in the group home, she comes to Kata's house, right? At one point. And then, uh, and she's like, hey, uh, I have a boyfriend. Can we bang here? That's what she says. Can we bang here? Because I can't Mm -hmm. bang him at the group home. It's interesting for this Hungarian film from 1975 (laughs) to use language like that. Yeah. But anyway, she's looking for some privacy with her boyfriend and she can't have it in the group home. So she's like, Hey, lady, I've just seen walking down the block, but never talked to. Can we hang out here? And then she leaves. And then her, her friend comes over looking for her. And we re- I don't even know if we ever see the friend in the rest of the movie, but she just has this like crazy conversation with Kata about uh, how difficult life is. And it never really goes anywhere beyond that, right? Yeah, I think you do see that character again at the end, just in the background in the wedding scene. Oh, but right, but she right, doesn't okay. have any lines or anything at that point. But I thought that scene was it is a little weird that that's really the only scene we get with that character. But I thought that scene was really powerful. She reads this letter that she's written to her mother, expressing all this anguish about how she was abandoned and how she doesn't ever want her mother to contact her again. And I think it shows or is maybe meant to show that for whatever reason, Kata seems like someone who is receptive to helping these girls or maybe because she is middle-aged and lives alone, they feel like she has some sort of affinity with them. I, I think that's kind of what they're going for. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. That is um, like the the language of that is powerful, right? Um, and it almost made you want to learn more about that character, which we never get to do. Um, but it's also a little strange, I mean, to be like, hey, again, I've never met you before. I'm looking for my friend. Uh, Let me read this letter to you about how much I hate my mom. Right. I mean, I think what it is, is that these are people who who've grown up without parents, really. Right. And they're looking for some type of uh, parental. Right. And and, and presumably they're not getting that at the group home, that the adults who work there are not really sympathetic to them or not really giving them the time and attention that they want. And and this is someone who seems like she might be receptive to it or maybe seems like she's looking for an emotional connection too, given that she's kind of alone all the time. I think that's fair, Josh. Man, you are zoned in to the Hungarian zeitgeist of the 70s, sir. I, I try. <laughs> so, I mean, as we've, we've clearly established, none of us had seen this film. None of us had seen any other Marta Maceros films or were familiar with her work at all. So this is kind of a, a new discovery for us all around. Yeah, and that's that's awesome. I just think like uh, it, it just kind of what. Yeah, I, I I mean I I appreciated it a little more than that, but I, I it did feel it was my response was kind of muted 
And I did go and I didn't have time to watch more of her features, a lot of which are not really available, but, but Criterion has a couple others. But I did watch a short film that Criterion has, again, in the sort of supplemental features of this from 1964 called Blowball, which is just a 20-minute kind of shapeless odyssey about this kid in a city wandering around during the day and, you know, parents who kind of don't really pay close attention to him. And that's even more if you want to use that as a critical term um, <laughs> I love that. than this one. But I mean, it's, it was pleasant and it has some beautiful shots of the city. And this, this movie also has really nice black and white cinematography. Um, but it didn't really, it didn't really reach me either, even less so, I think, than this one did. But Josh, on adoption, what would your musical uh, review be of it? It would be more like, mm, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I can't wait to start that, that, a whole uh, scale based on these noises. Dave, do you want to chime in? <laughs> Dave is just sounded like a Wookiee in a bear trap or something like that. All right. Do you do you have anything else on the background of adoption that you want to mention, Jason? Well, I mean, Josh, you mentioned that other uh short film there. And I mean, look, we're we're all learning on this one. And um, you know, it seems uh from what we um have uh researched that uh she deals with a lot of the same themes often. I have a quote from her where she says I tell banal commonplace stories, and then in them, the leads are women. I portray things from a woman's angle, which maybe isn't the case with that uh, one about the kid, but there is a lot of stuff about parents and uh, relationships and just the idea of um, kind of maybe neglect or not having that closeness with their parents. Right. And I think from looking at, again, just like Letterboxd and the the Marta Macero superfans who are reviewing her work on there... Mm. That you're right that 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 short film that I watched is a bit of an outlier, and that most of her work is about is about women, single women, and stuff like that. And in the interview that I watched, she mentioned how in Hungary at the time there was so much uh, divorce and so many. One of the things that struck me about those kids in the group home is that they seem to all, or the ones that we meet, they keep mentioning that it's not like their parents are dead or whatever. Their parents just were like. Nah, we don't want you. And they dropped them off there. And and she mentions in that interview that that was like a thing that that was happening a lot at the time. Yeah, we kind of see that with uh, the character um, who gets married when like her parents are like, here are the rules. If uh, if you marry her and it doesn't work out, you keep her. We don't want her back. <laughs> right. And that is essentially what it is. And I, I, that was apparently allowed. You know, the state was was allowing that and was supporting that in in a socialist regime. So you know, that's an interesting thing that that is. In contrast to today, well, you know, socialism. Everyone's supposed to share the wealth, so here they're sharing the right. kids. I guess uh, the responsibilities to raise the children. Yeah, I mean that's exactly true. I think, and the state is taking that responsibility. So we'll come back and see what else we have to say uh, in general about adoption. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we're talking about Berlin Film Festival Golden Bear winner adoption. And and Jason, I realized that you said before actually saying anything that you'd ran out of your thoughts on this film. But do you do you have any other observations or were there any favorite moments of yours? I seem to have so many thoughts that I wasn't even aware of, Josh. I'll tell you what I liked. I thought she did a, a really good job with um a lot of the shots just changing the subject of the shots very smoothly 
So you're starting on one character and then you're just kind of trickling over to another character. And I'm not talking about like rack focuses or anything, just like foreground, foreground, foreground. And I thought that was a really effective filmmaking technique. Um, and I just, from a story standpoint, like you're saying, like, I think we all just wanted it to hit that next level, but it kind of stayed in neutral from the beginning to the end. However, a story of a single woman in her 40s in Hungary who wants to have a baby is like a really interesting um, kind of piece, especially for this time. And I think the scene with like the doctor is like, yes, you can have a baby. You're healthy and you're only 42. Why not? Like it seems progressive for that uh, period of time, I'd say. Right. And I think maybe part of that is is the perspective of the socialist government, as we were saying, with the group homes for children. Maybe that was something where it was like encouraged. And it was interesting to me, too, when she has that scene where, right, she's single. She doesn't say she's planning to get married or anything like that. But there's no kind of patriarchal judgment of like, well, but you don't have a husband or whatever. And he just asks her, like, have you been using contraception in your sexual encounters or whatever? And he's not judging her for having had those sexual encounters or anything like that, even though she's single. And so I agree that that seemed either progressive or just kind of reflective of the very different perspective of the government in a country like that at the time versus, say, in the U.S. or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, it just is, like I said, we kind of start somewhere and it just kind of stays there. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is like the group home that they live in is like really they're really nice people to them and like supportive. And like, usually when you see a movie about like an orphanage or some, you know, uh, you know, group home, it's always like, we got to get out of here. This is the worst situation possible, but they seem to want the best for these people. And when Anna wants to get married, I think she's probably like 16 or 17. Yeah, right. That's like, the idea. And they're like, Hey, you know, we got to make sure your parents are on board and we actually think this will be good for you. And, you know, it seems like they take, um, adult steps to work on this uh, issue. Right. Yeah. I don't think when when those girls from the group home are gravitating toward Kata, it's not, oh, we're, we've been abused and we need you to save us or something like that. It's just they want uh, a space. More. Yeah. yeah. Or they want they want to be treated as equals, whether that's Anna wanting somewhere where she can bang her boyfriend <laughs> or the <laughs> other girl wanting the respect to be able to express herself about her feelings about her mother and being abandoned where she says that, you know, the principal of the group home has told her she can't send that letter that she has written because it's too harsh or whatever. Right. So maybe that's a little different, right? Like they, they're respectful, but also don't want to cause any conflicts. It sounds right. But they're not being abused. And again, it's not squalid conditions. When Kata goes there to try to find Anna and she's kind of wandering around the home, it looks like everyone is perfectly, you know, not they're not being mistreated or anything like that. They have adequate facilities and stuff. And I mean, it's such a basic thing for us to be like, surprisingly, they're not abused. But I guess that's like the standards that we have for stuff like that. I this. mean, the well, and you but also just like from, you know, our knowledge of film, right? That's what you see in a lot of these. And I'm not even saying that as like a bad thing, like you need conflict, right? Sure. And maybe here is like, uh, maybe that's one of the issues here is there's not enough conflict and we get to the wedding scene at the end and they do get married and you can see like they're already fighting, 
And you're like, yeah, maybe this is where the movie should have started with two 16 or 17 year old kids getting married. And the story should have been like, hey, you're too young to get married. And this is what happens. You know? Right. And it was interesting to me that that the goal of of Kata is not, you know, I think you 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 imagine maybe with the title and with, again, what we're familiar with from other movies, I think of like Kolya, the movie that we watched Um yeah, where you just trounced the little kid who was great and you just were like, I hate you because you're a child and you deserve no credit for being a good actor. I did dislike that child. But I mean, the point <laughs> being that that's a movie where it's like, here's this middle-aged person who's kind of a loner and here's this young kid who, you know, is doesn't have parents and they're going to bond and then, and then they're going to, you know, kind of want to be together. And you imagine that maybe Kata and Anna will have that kind of relationship. I mean, she's older than the kid in Kolya. But she also doesn't have, you know, she doesn't have parents. She doesn't have anyone, an adult figure in her life to look up to. And you think maybe she's going to bond with Kata and, and like move in or something. And that's going to be the child that she's going to raise for like another year. But that's not what happens. Yeah, but she does say like, hey, the reason I've come around on adoption is because of my relationship with you. Right. That's from Kata's perspective, but from Anna's perspective, like multiple times, she's like, I'm done with parents. Like you, you don't, I, I, right, you're not right. going to be my mom. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. Now, Josh, who is an adult figure you look up to? It's you, Jason. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we didn't really need to even vocalize that because it's so obvious, but I just didn't know if there were any others in your life. I, I, I have parents who I, I, who love me I, I so you know i i am not like anna i'm not writing a letter to uh my estranged mother or something like that so i know and i know your mom listens and i just want you to know dale i'm not trying to fill any void <laughs> i'm just supporting a friend yeah i doubt she's gonna listen to this episode <laughs> on this film, <laughs> or or anybody else <laughs> i hope people will and i mean this is a movie that you can watch on criterion it's easily accessible and then you know i people will give it a shot i would hope so right um, I mean, I think we both agree where it falls short. It just kind of um, just peters out. Like after the first few scenes, it's not bad. She has this kind of um, lover who's married um, and she wants to have his kid, but she doesn't care. She actually tells him, don't leave your wife and everything like that. And just the stories just kind of stay where they began, I felt like, other than like, oh, I've come around on the doctor. Right. Yeah, that's true a little bit. And that was another, though, representation like with the doctor, where it's treated in this very matter of fact way. And she's having this long term affair with this married guy. And she seems happy to keep just doing it that way. And he stays with his wife or whatever. And she's just like, hey, you know, I just want to have a kid. Why don't you help me out with that? Like, it's not really a big deal. And he doesn't get mad about it, per se. He's just like, mm, no, I don't want to do that. He doesn't seem happy. And, you know, when she goes and she visits him and there's the scene between Kata and the wife, she doesn't seem happy, you know. So, um, and I, I mean, I think that's a recurring theme in this film. And from what we've researched in, um, you know, many of her films is the, uh, you know, the place of women in society back then and how it was easy to be unhappy. Right. And I think that scene where she visits her lover's wife is one where you do see that patriarchy asserting itself because the wife says she's kind of jealous of Kata for having a career and her children are now older and she, they don't really need her every day. And Kata is like, oh, well, why don't you go work? You could totally do that. And the husband just shoots it down. And, you know, that's that's the end of the story of that. 
that's what I mean. All the stories just kind of end, right. right? Right where they start. Yeah, that's so. well, I mean, that is the end of the story in that you get the sense that like, there's no more discussion of this issue, right? There's nothing that's going to play out. But yeah, I agree, especially in that wedding scene, because we've spent the whole movie with Kata's efforts to get permission for Anna to marry this boyfriend who seems like a nice guy, right? And then as soon as they get married and they're happy for like a few minutes or whatever, and everyone's dancing, and then you do see them having this argument or whatever, and he kind of grabs her and you wonder if he's going to be violent and she looks very unhappy. And then that's the last we see of her is that shot of her face and she's unhappy. It's like the, the end of the graduate or something, right? Yeah, and I was, I mean, I just wasn't clear, like, was she saying like, oh, I regret getting married? Like, because we don't hear any of their conversation right. at that point. Or is it like, hey, I'm just tired and I don't want to dance. He's like, you will dance with me. I don't know what it was, you know? <laughs> I, I think we could have used a little more information there. Right, and we don't really get a huge sense of that guy. I mean, he is supposed to be older. I think he's... Sunil? Um, yeah, he's like 22 or 23. Right. right, he says he's older and I think he has a job and he lives with his family, so he's not an orphan. He hasn't been abandoned or whatever. They're They're meant to move in with his family once they get married. So there's no sense that he's like, been abusing her or pressuring her into mar this marriage or anything like that. But in fact, the opposite, it seems right. She's very, very eager to do this. And that's why Kata decides to help her because she cares about, you know, she comes to care about her and this is what's important to her. So she's going to help her achieve it. Right. Um, I got nothing else, Josh, if you want to rate this thing, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a rating, uh, out of, uh, five, uh, adopted children. I don't know. Uh, group homes five group homes sure let's do that sure i gave it two and a half like i said um uh, obviously very uh you know uh a fine craftsmanship here i would say um but just from a story standpoint like nothing kept me in invested here. yeah that's fair i mean i'm gonna give it three group homes out of five and i but i'm kind of with you i admired the craftsmanship of it and I thought it was an interesting glimpse into uh, an era and culture that I'm not familiar with. But it did seem like a bit tough to fully uh, engage emotionally with the story. So, Dave, did you have any other thoughts on this film that you wanted to share with us? Uh, I did notice that there was a lot of animals in the background, either barking <laughs> or squawking in like almost every scene. And like they're not on a farm. Like I thought that was kind of weird. But but no, my, my real other thought is that the score rules. I, I love the music in this film. And uh, that that kind of bumped it up from two and a half to three for me. So I, I'm going with a three uh, for my rating, three group homes. But yeah, great score. And I, I believe the composer worked with her on a bunch of other films, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't know about that, but that's, I'm sure that's true. And and I agree, the sound design too, there's a bunch of scenes where there's like kind of background sounds or whatever that give you a sense of place or what's going on around them that I, I kind of noticed that that was clearly deliberate. So yeah. again, going to Jason to what you said about the craftsmanship here, I think you can see her skill as a filmmaker technically, even if maybe we feel like there's a distance between us and the character. Yeah, and this is maybe not the best comparison because it's a different time, but you think of like, because Josh, you're talking about like a time and a place and a social system and looking into that. And that made me think of uh, Kristen Munju's film that we covered uh, four months, three days, uh, however many hours. It's, it's the title weeks, of it. three weeks, two days. Right, that one. 
And, you know, I feel like that has such a thrust from a narrative standpoint that continues the momentum throughout. And I, I just wanted a little more of something like that. Right. And I think that's not a bad comparison. I mean, that's an Eastern European film. It's a Romanian film, but it's, you know, this is the same region. And that movie is is from much later, but it takes place in a time period that's closer to this. And it's looking at a similar kind of culture. So I think it's a reasonable comparison. And that is a movie with a much more urgent plot, let's say. Right. Right. And, and that's, you know, again, a, a different, different style, different yeah. thing. But yeah. yeah, that's true. So uh, we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of adoption. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we are talking about Berlin International Film Festival, Golden Bear winner, Adoption from filmmaker Marta Maceros. And as I said, the legacy of this movie for a long time, I think in the US at least, was that it wasn't really all that accessible until they did this 4K restoration of it that premiered once again at the Berlin International Film Festival in 2019. And that's what we were able to watch on the Criterion channel, which is where it is if you want to check it out. And that Criterion also put out on DVD. So I think that kind of led to a resurgence or maybe uh, an initial surge in interest from Artemis Eros's work here in the U.S. where people weren't really familiar with her. Yeah, we knew nothing about her before this. So um, one thing I when I was looking it up, Josh, is um, is she, uh, you know, when I was researching her, it said that she a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff, which we kind of talked about here. But she also combines documentary footage. And I think that would have been some interesting stuff to maybe break this up a little bit. But I don't know how that would have worked in here. I guess in a lot of our other projects, she does. Yeah, it. I don't know. Or maybe just that there's realism here. I mean, we have the the factory where Akata works and it may very well have been shot at a real factory with some real factory workers. I'm not really sure. And in that short film that I watched, I mean, the kid, I think, is, a, is is an actor and there's dramatic scenes in it. But as he's kind of wandering around the city, it does have a documentary feel and seems like she's captured some real people going about their daily business along with the actor that she's following. The name of the first movie that she directed was in 1968. It was called The Girl. That's um, the uh, that was when she became the first Hungarian woman to direct a movie. Josh, in the 80s, she made a trilogy that I had alluded to, Diary for My Children, which won the Grand Prix at Cannes, and then Diary for My Lovers and Diary for My Mother and Father. Yeah, and a couple of those are on Criterion. Um, I think not all three of them, but, but two of them, I don't remember which two. So her stuff is semi-accessible. I was looking at, you know, she's still alive and she's still been working as recently as 2017. That was when her last feature film was made called Aurora Borealis. And I was looking at that and it's on like Tubi. So you can watch her her other films if you want. Tubi rules. What's the last thing you watched on Tubi? Um, probably the Stepford Wives for Awesome Movie Year, I, I would uh, say. I just watched Barbershop on there last night. Yeah, there's all yeah. sorts of weird stuff on Tubi that is not available anywhere else, which is uh, interesting. So, so just, yeah, Josh, you mentioned Separate Wives. Dave, you mentioned uh, Barbershop. I watched Moment of Contact, the documentary about a potential UFO sighting in Brazil. So what a cross-section. Tubi! <laughs> yeah, there's all... <laughs> for all your viewing needs with commercials. All sorts of movies made for zero dollars with people who don't know what they're doing. You can find so much of that on Tubi and nowhere else. 
Josh Catalina Beric, who played Kata, was in over 40 films and television shows. And Laszlo Zabo, who played Joska, her uh, lover, um, acted in over 120 films and was the director and screenwriter. Had seven movies in Cannes throughout the years. Yeah, he has had quite a career and mostly worked in France. Again, that in that interview that I watched, she talked about how he moved to France as uh, I think as a teenager and was there at the beginning of the new wave. He was made a bunch of films with Jean-Luc Godard. He's worked with Costa Gavras and Eric Romer and Francois Truffaut and Olivier Assayas and all these major filmmakers in France. And he was actually in a Truffaut film that we did an episode on, The Last Metro, although I don't recall uh, specifically his presence in it, but he was in that movie. Ah, hmm. <laughs> Another awesome movie year mystery. Yes. Um, and, and she also mentioned, uh, Catalin Beric was, uh, apparently a major stage actor in Hungary, in addition to the film and TV roles that she had. There we go. I'm out. <laughs> um, I was trying to find an info, info and here's a, here's a name to mispronounce, but, uh, Jongiver Vig, maybe, who is the actress who plays Anna, the teenager. She has like three or four other credits on IMDb, none past 1979. So I'm not sure what she did later. In life, I didn't uh, find anything else about her online. You didn't like look on Instagram and be like, uh, "Why did you marry Sabo?" Right. I was wondering <laughs> about that. That's the, the actress from The Hunt that I found, um, and I think too, we we talked recently about in uh, in John Dealman, the actor who played her son. I found his Instagram too, but it looks <laughs> like she's either not on social media or not that I was able to discover by. If you are divorced from Sano. Slide into my DMs. <laughs> so, um, Jason, do, do you have a favorite Hungarian film? I like Goulash, which is not a film, but it's um, uh, yeah, like a stew. What about Schnitzel? I've noticed that this was the second movie in this season that has a mention of Schnitzel after Jean Dielman. Schnitzel and women's place in society trying to break through. When we come up with themes, Josh, these are what we're yeah, looking Yeah, we definitely for. thought about Schnitzel, so. What's your favorite? Uh, well, I looked this up, actually, because I thought I would bring it up. So um, I love Sunset by Lajlo Nemes, who is more famous for his first film, Son of Saul. But Sunset, which is his second movie, I, was my number one movie of the year in like, I think it was 2018, the year that it came out. And it's just a fascinating uh, look into like this, like into a time and place that I'm not familiar with. It takes place on the eve of World War One in Hungary. And the way he shoots his films, where he constrains his frame basically just to the main character and you don't see really anything that is outside the frame beyond her. And in Son of Saul, that's all about the Holocaust that's going on around this character. And in Sunset, it's about all sorts of societal changes, but also a lot of things that's unclear. And it's sort of this surreal journey. And it's just amazing. It's, it's a fantastic film. If, uh, if people are curious about Hungarian movies, um, check out Sunset as well as Son of Saul, which is really good. Um, I was also, there's also a, a 2017 film called 1945 that's set right after the end of World War II and is about a pair of Jews returning to this village in Hungary where, um, of course, the Nazis rounded up all the Jews and took them off to concentration camps. And interestingly, what happened was basically all the shops and houses and things that the Jews owned were then given to the remaining you know, Christian residents of the town who've spent the last five years or whatever, like owning these businesses and living in these homes. And then these two Jewish guys who are survivors come back 
And it's this tension between them and these residents who aren't Nazis per se, but are like, hey, this is now my business. And it was just an interesting perspective on the aftermath of the Holocaust that I'd never seen before. So that's a good film, too. Yeah, that does sound uh, good. Obviously, this is uh, not a filmmaking country we know much about, Josh. So this is good for us to dig deep into it. I think I might have to watch uh, Kopetskuya, Josh. From 1981, a Hungarian band plays American rock and roll and blues hits with great enusiasm and passion, but success seems to avoid them. All right. Yeah, I don't know that film. I was surprised when I was looking on Letterboxd, like, how many films have I seen in Hungarian? And there were like 10 of them or something. That was a, a higher number than I would have expected. Since Jason picked one that he hasn't seen, I'll just say I've been trying to get around to watching White God for a long time now. That seems like a movie I'd love. Yeah, I have seen that. And I remember being really excited about it and being a bit disappointed in the actual experience of it. But I know you love dogs and dogs that murder people. So, yes. Mm. (laughs) How about Mephisto, Josh? Ever seen that? No, I haven't seen that. What is that? Uh, It's a movie. Thank you, Jason, for that insight. Unlike goulash, which is a stupid. Maybe you could eat goulash while watching a Hungarian film. Oh my God, that sounds good. So that's Jason's <laughs> afternoon plan right there. Any uh, any other thoughts on the legacy of, of adoption you want to mention? Josh, no. All right. So that is adoption. And that is- and Literally a- every note I had, we've gone through. I think we did a good job nice. of it. So pat on the back for us. That's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. <laughs> Adopt us online and on social media. Please be nice. We just want a home. Uh, we're at awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on all the socials. You can also find me at Eat This Comedy on Instagram. That's also a website. Go for Jason on Letterboxd. You got to read my review on adoption. Yeah, that's a must read right there. <laughs> Uh, some old stuff for me at joshbellhateseverything.com. I'm also at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signalbleed on Twitter and on Letterboxd. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And check out the Produced by David Rosen Patreon for a bunch of bonus content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year. And I'll be posting right around the time this comes out a uh, soundtrack to a film called Jacqueline that I scored that you can watch on Tubi. Tubi, all right. Dave, plug your new album, man. Yeah, and my uh, speaking of white god and dogs, crazy dogs, uh, my new album, The Pup Pups, which will also be out around the time this comes up, uh, which is a, a comedy novelty album of songs about dogs and cats and is absolutely ridiculous. You're a regular Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Thank I think you. that's really the highest compliment that Dave could ever hope to receive. Yeah, I pretty mean, much. Again, I'm just going by hair here, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, what is it our next episode? Uh, Josh, it's the best picture winner of 1975. And as we have already showcased, there are so many good movies of this year that this one uh, really had some tough competition to beat. But it's an all time classic. It's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by our friend Milos Foreman with our other friend, Jack Nicholson. So many friends of ours. (laughs) And our new friend, Brad Dorif. Tune in next time for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And thanks for Say hi to your friend, Louise Fletcher. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. 
And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. Do you want me to put an advertisement in here right now? <laughs> Maybe just some more. Hey, fans of Awesome Movie, yeah. You want some awesome records? Come down to the Pink House on Decatur Boulevard. Can you find your way through it? Neither can I. Rick's Racks Records. We got records. And you're going to pay what I tell you to. <laughs> it's going at the end of the episode. For has, sure. has, has he ever heard that impression, Dave? <laughs> I, I Would he be flattered so. or offended? Oh, he'd probably not understand it at all. <laughs> he'd be like, he'd be like, what? Huh? My Bluetooth is still in my ear. Leave me alone. <laughs> hey, friends, want to return your records to Rick's Racks? Fuck yourselves. Once we sell it, you fucking keep it. Rick's Racks Records, The Pink House, Decatur Boulevard.